Long past the hour for quitting labour, amid the smoke-filled haze of the south gate, the after-lodge crew continues to linger in the rubbish of the temple, under the watchful eyes of right-worshipful Grand Censor Bob. Not recognised nor endorsed by any grand or subordinate lodge of regular masons, irregular masons, co-masons, Canadian masons, or internet wannabe masons, they banter on as always. Puffing cigars, drinking stale coffee, making terrible jokes, studying agency law, spreading the intemperance and excesses of digital masonry, and generally disappointing all seven of their podcast subscribers. Do yourself a favor and stop listening now. Only trolls and masochists dare to eavesdrop upon this after-lodge banter. Welcome to episode 149 of the After Lodge podcast, brought to you from deep inside of the Googleplex, uh, where we had to go to fix some technical issues we had last week. Uh, this is After Lodge Harlan, joined as usual by worshipless producer Bruce. Good evening. And uh, last, the last show we managed to put out, since we didn't have a show last week, uh, we had Brother David Riley on. Uh, I had resolved after the show was over that he couldn't be on the show anymore because I like being the most intelligent person on the air. But uh, my wife had issues with him being on the show again, too. She said I fawn too much. So now, in spite of uh, Mrs. Harlan's wishes, uh, we have invited Brother Riley back to the show, uh, as well as Nick. Uh, I, Nick, do you, do you want your last name out there? No. No. It's all good. We'll just call him IRC Nick. Swim, bike, run, run, Nick. I assume that means you run triathlons, but I didn't want to give you a chance to brag. (laughs) (laughs) No big deal. Um, And, of course, our special guest this week is uh, illustrious Robert G. Davis of the 33rd degree of the ancient accepted Scottish Rite, uh, which, of course, makes him a master mason like the rest of us. Brother Davis, I forgot to ask, but I assume you're from Massachusetts as well? Actually, no. I'm from Oklahoma. Oh, Oklahoma. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Probably should have, have clarified that. Isn't, I'm getting all my guests mixed up because uh, Brother Dunning is from Oklahoma as well, right? He's from Texas. Texas, okay. <laughs> that's, enough, uh, that's, yeah. uh, that's what happened then. I had, uh, I had him in your spot. It's, that's an outlying yeah. province of Oklahoma. <laughs> I have never met a Texan who would disagree with that. <laughs> Great. Um, uh, Brother Davis is the uh, author of a, the, is it A. Mason's Words? Mason's I'm terrible words, with my show notes tonight. Okay. 
Be Mason's words. Bruce, I'm going to need if, you to bail me out. If only there were a, a producer for this show. What is what, what yes. is happening right now? Uh, <laughs> well, while we've been sorting out the technology stuff, uh, I've been scarfing down some Jimmy John's, uh, which I will have to beep that over because they're not paying us to sponsor or as a sponsor. <laughs> Jimmy John's, freaky fast delivery. Thank yeah, you. yeah. Uh, it was freaky fast. Uh, they managed to get it here while we were still doing the setup. So, uh, But... So I don't make any more gaffes and get everyone confused about where they're from and what they do. Um, Bruce, how's the mail? Oh, dude, really? You gotta you you gotta start right from the get with with, with the source spot. Okay, so it's December, and like the post office projected a twenty eight percent parcel increase this year from last year, and it's already like thus far it's something like fifty five percent. So literally every person down to the custodians who work there is so overwhelmed that none of us know what we're doing and it's just it's packages to the ceiling and and on the roof and we're strapping them to the trucks it's it's absolute pandemonium hmm. so that's 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 how the mail is oh thank you for your service uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh so uh brothers nick and david riley are are together uh, I think. Are you still at, well, at uh, Brother well, David's well, house? I mean, David, I mean, they're together. Like they're on the the camera together. They're they're in the right. same <laughs> physical. <laughs> Nick wishes. Uh, so does I have everyone. To be careful with this kind of talk. Like I, I really had to have a serious discussion with my wife over over last last show. So. <laughs> um, Why don't just in case anyone hasn't seen it, let me quote what your wife said. Oh, don't. Okay. Oh, it, it's so I was good. hoping she would never discover Reddit, and then she did. She says, listening to my husband find his soulmate and fall in love was very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, Sorry, I tried explaining to her, uh, besides the fact that sexuality doesn't work that way, and you can't just, you know, flip <laughs> it like a switch, uh, also that uh, Brother Riley is happily married, and... Uh, he, to a Jewish man, and as we man- mentioned, Jewish men are fantastic, so why would he need somebody else? Um, so, with that said, they're in the same physical location, so I was going to ask you gentlemen what you've been up to uh, jointly, since I think only one of you can have a microphone on at a time. I saw my first third degree in Florida. Uh-oh. Oh, Yeah. It was I, I, I've heard several stories, good stories that started this way. Go ahead. Well, you know, I was raised in a lodge in Massachusetts, which is the oldest jurisdiction in the Western Hemisphere. So it is my position that anything that differs from Massachusetts is an impermissible innovation in the body of masonry. There were many impermissible innovations in the body of masonry. It is quite different. Uh, I've been to a few Florida Master Mason degrees, and it's well. Different is the word I would go with. Yes, I got. So it was exciting. Did Did they make you part of the crew? Like when you showed up, no. and they needed extra bodies. No, they couldn't get my arms to uncross. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having to go to David and be like, David, stop looking like that. David, calm down. David, breathe. <laughs> You did tell them they're doing it wrong, of course. Well, I was a guest, so it wasn't my place. <laughs> so, well, they got the I impression. Judge later. 
they got the impression they were doing it wrong uh, the last time I visited because they demanded that I take part. Um, and I told them I'm from a different jurisdiction. I don't know your work. So I just tried to blend in and do what everyone else did. Um, but I was so off course that I hope that illustrated to them they were doing it wrong. <laughs> or that I don't know the ritual at all, which is probably what they thought. Um, is that it? So, yeah, that's, that's it. it for us. Wow. Okay, that's exciting. So uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm criticizing everyone because I have nothing exciting to uh, speak of. Um, yeah, I've been working for the man. So... Last, but certainly not least, uh, Brother Davis, what have you been up to of late? Well, of late, I've uh, I spent the last, I guess I should tell you a little bit about myself. I was raised on a, uh, a farm and ranch in, in northwest Oklahoma, and um, it wasn't the end of the world, but you could see it from where we lived. And uh, my father was an active Freemason as was his brother, and they had adjoining farms. And uh, so for as long as I can remember, uh, my uncle, they, they would come in, take a bath, uh, put on their Sunday suits, slap on old spice deodorant, and my dad's brother would come over and pick him up, and they went to lodge every Wednesday night, and they did that for 50 years. And so I don't remember a time when I was not going to be a Freemason. And that puts me in kind of an, as kind of an anomaly in my generation because the baby boomers generally did not follow their fathers into the fraternity, which is what caused the generation gap, which, which caused the, uh, uh, you know, contributed to the uh, long-term decline in 20th century Freemasonry. So I'm very privileged to to understand that I came into Freemasonry the traditional way, uh, from father to son to son to son, so, which was the tradition for like 400 years. What, what was it about them going, um, like, like you said, you're, you're, you're different than most in that regard. What, was it just like the quality of person that they were that made you interested in joining, or did they say, hey, you know, this is something you might be interested in? Or? Well, I think my first impression was that it was important to my dad okay. that he that he attend lodge. He always talked very uh, favorably about uh, his lodge experience. But the other significant aspect of my story is that the uh, the little town that was the closest uh, to where we lived was a town with a population of about twenty five hundred. And that's where we had almost all of the social conversations of my, my young life. And over the course of my youth, I met, uh, of course, most of the men in that little community. And I got to know the most respected men in that town. And there were a number of them that always seemed unusually friendly to me. I mean, they, you know, they saw me on a sidewalk. They would stop and say hi, you know. They'd shake hands with me. And, and uh, so they became men that I uh, really admired. Well, when I showed up for my initiation, uh, the first time that I uh, attended a, a, you know, a tile meeting of the lodge, all of those men were there. They were my father's friends. 
And I never will forget standing in the uh, preparation room, duly and truly prepared to be a Mason, waiting for someone to return the knocks on the door, consciously thinking to myself, tonight I am going to be initiated into manhood. There was no doubt in my mind that Freemasonry was all about the journey to manhood. So how old were you? I was 21. At, at, at that time, you had to be 21 to join. Gotcha. So I, uh, I, um, I went to college, uh, got a master's degree in economics, uh, went into the city planning and city management profession for uh, 14 years, was um, active uh, volunteer in, in, in the Scottish Rite bodies in, in central Oklahoma. And uh, one day the president of the uh, Scottish Rite Foundation and the um, uh, chairman of the board uh, gave me a call and, and uh, came and visited me and they said that they, uh, they wanted me to become the secretary of the, of the Guthrie uh, Scottish Rite bodies and they'd already received approval from the Sovereign Grand Inspector General uh, in Oklahoma. And uh, so I moved from Northern Oklahoma to Central Oklahoma and so I spent the last 30 years being, the, uh, being a professional Freemason. Uh, namely the Secretary of the Guthrie uh, Scottish Rite Bodies, and just recently retired this year. That is really cool. And I have to say, just because everyone should know, that if you are a Scottish Rite Mason and you ever have the opportunity to attend one of the Guthrie reunions, you have to go. It is, uh, even if you have seen all the degrees, seeing them at Guthrie, they put them all on in a weekend and seeing them all together being able to follow the arc of the story and seeing them performed in what I think is the best way possible and the best building possible is a life-changing experience. If you aren't moved to tears by the 32nd degree at Guthrie, you were never a Mason in the first place. <laughs> well, thank you, David. We do have a, uh, we do have a national reputation uh, for, for what we do, but, but the important thing to understand about that is that uh, we stay true to what the mission of the Scottish Rite always has been, and that is to, it's to be the university course in Freemasonry. And, uh, you know, in any Masonic organization, if you, if you ver very far from the central mission of the organization, it becomes something different than what it was originally intended to be. And that's, Frankly, one of the challenges that we have in American Freemasonry today, uh, we've too often moved entirely out of the, of the focus of, of the, the founding principles of Freemasonry, hmm. which is to initiate men into manhood. So, um, Brother Riley talked at length on our last show about the spiritual initiatic experience um but you're probably one of one of the few i've heard refer to it as an initiation into manhood so i could buy that from my own experience uh, i joined at the age of 21 as you did uh so i i felt very much the same way but I, i'm curious with the the countless men who come into our fraternity at a much later age is this like a, a, a metaphorical manhood 
or or are you actually describing the the rite of passage that a young man experiences when he realizes for the first time that he's in control of his own destiny? Well, I think it's both. Obviously, I think the original intent of Freemasonry or the, uh, uh, the expectation of Freemasonry was that fathers would bring their sons into the fraternity. And so the idea of multiple generational lodges existing in most places uh, would suggest that that one of the interests of the older men in the organization was to pass their their wisdom and their knowledge and their life experience onto uh, the generation below them, and so this generational tie from male to male uh, sort of implies that the initiatic experience, at least in our tradition is a man experience. And since we are a male-only body in our discipline, well then, what, what would the initiatory experience be if it wasn't to put you on the path to mature masculinity? Okay, I, I definitely concur with that. Um, but It also brings yeah, the, the uh, interesting question of of the uh, the invitation solicitation for membership rules that most jurisdictions have, uh, did that not apply to a Lewis or or the son of a, a Mason? No, it did not. It did not. If you were Lewis traditionally, uh, then you uh, you had sort of a um, um, a patriarchal right uh, to become a member of the fraternity. But this, but the initiate, the initiatory experience is a metaphor as well, because you pointed out that a number of older men uh, enter the fraternity. So if the fraternity is only about initiating young men, you know, where is the place for the older fellow? Well, the thing that we have to understand about Freemasonry is it's first and foremost an initiatic organization, but secondly, and just as importantly. It is a transformative organization. So its intent is to transform men into a better state of being. And that's not necessarily a function of how old they are. It's purely a function of their state of mind. And as David said so eloquently, it is, it is a spiritual journey because we are ultimately engaged in trying to understand ourselves and the nature of God and our relationship uh, with that that higher essence and that's what makes us a spiritual that, that's what makes the journey a spiritual journey at least in part very good so uh, following in the the steps of, of our fathers is uh I guess that's that's something I, I didn't have the luxury of experiencing uh, my father like most boomers I uh, did not follow his father into the fraternity. Uh, and ironically enough, uh, my father was raised by me um, into the lodge after his son followed in his grandfather's footsteps. Uh, but I missed out on that, that whole experience of having my grandfather uh, be the one to receive me into the fraternity because he had long passed by the time I was 21. <coughs> so I, I definitely... I definitely see the the point you're you're trying to make, and really, it kind of makes me feel like I've missed out on something. Well, that uh, 
yes, other don't, men get to Yeah, don't fret over that over another minute because <laughs> the uh, you have to understand that all young men crave for father figures in their life. And as we know, a lot of young men do not have the best father figures in their biological father. And, uh, but they will accept father figures from any man. So, you know, one of the quests of young men is to emulate or implant into their psyche features about older adult males that have been exceptional role models in their own life. So it doesn't matter if your father wasn't a Freemason. What is important is that as a young man, you find things about older men uh, that you want to emulate. And I can't imagine in, in the fraternity anybody who does not encounter um, some men outside of their generation that they are just very, very impressed with, um, that they very much respect. And in some ways, they want to be like them. They want to grow up to be like them. And so, yeah, it's not about your father being a Mason. It's about adopting the, um, the, the father model as a part of, of um, you know, the quest that we're going to take on ourselves as young men. You remember, fatherhood is the code of men. And I could buy that. I, uh, I quickly, uh, in the fraternity, found uh, numerous what I would call father figures who will continue to be that today. Um, one of the gentlemen we often refer to as the patriarch of our lodge, uh, who doesn't want to be named because he doesn't like the idea of the internet and his name floating out there. Um, or as much as we joke about uh, our formerly angry chaplain, and by formerly I mean chaplain, not the angry part. He's still angry. Uh, it's the same story. Uh, I was immediately drawn into uh, the mentorship of, of some of these older guys. It's a big part of why I'm still here uh, a decade later is because the influence they had when I was 21 years old with no clue of where I was going with my life. And I think that's, that's the typical that most young men are on. How do you know? Uh, what your life's going to be like, you know, when you just just emerge out of college and, you know, you haven't had your first real job, you haven't, you haven't been married, haven't had a family, haven't had any life experience. I mean, that's just, uh, everybody faces that. So it would seem that if, if you have an interest uh, to be a man of social honor, a man of integrity, a, a male who is respected in your community, then it just seems natural that you're going to want to imprint yourself uh, on men that appear to be that kind of person in your own life. And that's how initiation works. Initiation is not an event, it's a process. And so it either works or it doesn't, depending on what we understand about, about its goal. And, you know, the goal of Freemasonry is to develop men with status or men with social honor, uh, men who are respected by people who know them. 
I mean, our ritual suggests that, you know, time and time again. So the question is, do you want to become that kind of man? And if you do, you know, how much sacrifice are you going to, um, you're going to make to make sure that happens in your life? Now, so that is, uh, that's something different from how I think a lot of us tend to subconsciously perceive the fraternity uh, as the initiatic experience helping you to become that man of social stature, uh, the respected figure in your community. I feel like all too often, maybe it's just within my own lodge, but there's almost an expectation that men are already there or, or well on their way to being that type of individual before they ever get here. We certainly um, hope so. so. We certainly hope but that if, the men coming into the fraternity are good men. Remember, we take right, good, good men and make them better, but we have to make sure they're good men to start with, yeah. Uh, so, well, that, that does beg the question of, of the definition of a, a good man. Uh, for instance, we have a, a young man here in our lodge who, uh, he petitioned the lodge when he was 18. Um, the guy, we knew right away that, that well, I don't want to say we knew he was a good kid. I'm going to call him a kid because he was 18. Uh, but he had some very poor decision-making ability. Um, and so he ended up running into trouble rather consistently for, for a while, even after he was in the fraternity, not through ill will, but just through that lack of a father figure, as you described growing up. I was going to say it's um, important to point out that it wasn't like really bad stuff. It was, it was dumb decision stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like bad choices. But now, uh, six years later or so, because after we had initiated him, like many lodges, uh, we took somebody without vetting them as fully as maybe we should have. Um, he wasn't quite ready yet, but once we'd initiated him, we, we felt responsibility um, that, that that individual was, was our brother, our you know, kid brother, and so we had to do what we could. But you know, these years later, um, he is now lined up to get married. Uh, he's working a couple jobs to pay his way through that, uh, has been consistently out of trouble and, and devoting his spare time to uh, regaining custody of, of his kid uh, that he had uh, missed out on before and contributing back to this community and he's becoming a face that's known amongst like the local city officials um, as one of those great guys from the lodge so what I, I was getting at with my earlier question is if the expectation for that young man was that he was already a pillar of the community before he got here then he would have never been here and I I really hate to think where his life would be now if he hadn't stumbled upon this lodge full of father figures. Or had we turned him away. Yes. Exactly, and that's an, that's an excellent point. Uh, I think what I didn't mean to imply that you have to, uh, to be a pillar of your youth in order to be eligible to, uh, to join our ranks. Um, I just mean that uh, you have to be someone who's um, who is not is not so is not so needy that the lodge has to spend all of their time healing healing them. You know, we are a healing organization in terms of of uh, our rituals and that sort of thing, but we also assume that those that come into our ranks 
are duly and truly prepared to do so. And that means they at least have an inspiration to be better than they've been, uh, to improve their average on, you know, in the, in the area of good versus bad judgments, and to try to get on a, on a path uh, that in, improves their success in, in their life. Wouldn't you agree with that, David? Uh, I would. I would also say that, you know, part of the, ma the magic of the fraternity is that you have a whole bunch of good men who become friends and don't want to let each other down. And so you bring in a guy who at least doesn't want to let his friends down. Right. Excellent. Good. Yeah. So, okay. So I think we're all, we're all kind of saying the same thing. Um, I was leading into the, the point that being a good man is more than the sum of your, your deeds or, or current place in life. It's, it's something more internal that should require a little more work from an investigating committee to, to determine. Uh, somebody's character, especially at that age, isn't necessarily a reflection of uh, their, their personal life history or, or where they are in, in social status. It's, it's something much more deep than that, which we allude to in our lectures uh, when we always talk about the internal and not the external qualifications. Uh, but I, I think I was trying to lead into more of what, what those internal qualifications are, which is what Brother Davis summed up. So it worked out even if not yeah. the way I expected. So thanks. Yeah. Well, I mean, fortunately, the, uh, you know, Freemasonry is a transformative art. So hopefully we all are transformed, you know, in a, by our experience in the fraternity uh, some of them may, may we, some of us may have farther to go in that transformation process than, than others. But I, I, I very seldom ever meet a man who will not affirm that in some way the fraternity has transformed him for the better. Ooh, I get a chance to use this line that I, I use on new guys to our lodge now. Bruce has heard this a million times. Um, I may be one of those people uh, that you've never heard say this. I don't actually know how the fraternity has transformed me as an individual. And the reason I say that is I joined, I put in a petition on my 21st birthday. I've spent literally my entire adult life as a Freemason. So I have no idea who or what I would have been without Freemasonry. So when people ask how it's changed you, I, I really, I don't know. Like, it, it is me, so I, I, I don't think there was anything to change. I grew into the fraternity, and it just became mingled in with my identity. Well, very good. But, but you, you, you do understand that the Lodge is a representation of the world, don't you? And, and, you, and you understand that your journey through the degrees is a journey of your own life, correct? Yeah. And so almost all of the symbols that are associated with that path uh, have to do with um, how you look at things in your own life, how you judge yourself in terms of the, the progress that you're making, and uh, 
and how you uh, and and whether or not your your consciousness has become awakened somehow by your fraternal experience or your repetition of the rituals or uh, your study and interpretation of the symbols but it's all about uh, the journey to awakening consciousness and uh, and, and we can give a lot of uh, uh, different examples from uh, different elements of our ritual that sort of confirm that but it's but simply it's pretty easy to see that we're on an upward path there's there's too many there's too many images of ascensions of one type or another in the degrees of Freemasonry uh, for us not to at least pick up on the fact that this is a progressive um, you know path that we're on and a part of that progress is what moves a man from the impetuosity of youth to mature masculinity. And his understanding of himself, his inner nature, uh, requires that he has an, an awakening consciousness, which sort of uh, suggests that it's an upward path, and yet at the same time, he discovers that he has to go deep down within himself uh, to find himself. Now, you just made David go, huh? And then have to reposition himself in his chair. And I don't think anybody saw that. So I, th I think he has something I to respond that. to. <laughs> I, I was just thinking about the, that, that whole idea that Freemasonry is about awakening consciousness and about lifting your consciousness up. At the same time, it's all about and, uh, you know, diving inward and going into yourself. It parallels the idea that Freemasonry is something that is, you know, it's a fraternal organization. It's something that we do together. But at the same time, what Freemasons do is an individual experience is something that is done alone. It's something that is done inside only yourself. It is a highly contradictory organization. Well, um, if you've dug deep enough in our fraternity, and by deep enough I mean beyond just the skin of the surface, uh, you start to see paradoxes emerging everywhere. I think they're just ingrained into into the craft. Uh, you were mentioning the, the 32nd degree earlier, and uh, that's kind of what brought this to mind, but it, it's easy to see there, but you look at it everywhere and you find that polarity, that duality, the, the paradoxes is really just the most basic thing to call them. Um, so, I guess what brother what brother David just brought up was uh, another example of that that I hadn't thought of. So I'm going to add that to my list of Mason paradoxes. <laughs> well, so, we encounter a lot of dualities. You know, there's so many uh, there's so many opposites uh, within the uh, ritual uh, teachings themselves that you know it's. Um, it would be hard to arti articulate all of them, but there's always that that third element that reconciles the opposites that we deal with. You know, whether it's ignorance uh, versus knowledge, you know, uh, darkness to light, um, you know, it, 
we 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 have two natures and that is just the way things are and so since we have two natures we have to find the harmony between those natures and and we realize that the greatest challenge that any of us will ever have is we have to overcome ourselves we have to learn how to be comfortable in our own skin and uh you know you said a while ago, well, my gosh, I was a good man. I've been a good man all my life. Uh, I came to the fraternity. I'm still a good man, so I can't see that the fraternity has made me any better. But then I remind you that we all have ruffians. Otherwise, there would not be a ruffian element in the third degree of Freemasonry. Oh, uh, I, I hope, uh, I hope that, that that didn't come across that way earlier. Uh, what I was trying to get at was... I don't have anything else to compare myself to. I don't. I don't have a me without masonry, so I don't know how it's changed yeah. me. Oh, uh, I never okay. made an allegation that that I've always been a good man or that I am <laughs> a good man today. That's yeah. that's yeah, arrogant, even for me. And I'm rather renowned for my arrogance. Yeah. But well, I, that level. I just brought it up because there's a number of men that you know they've had good childhoods. You know, everything's gone swell for them. They've pretty much got everything that they that they wanted out of life. They feel healthy, you know, they feel affirmed. And so they don't understand what is there about themselves that needs to be transformed, you know. Well, but the fact is there are, you know. And, you, and all you have to do is just think about who the ruffians are and you, and you can determine the work that you need to do on yourself. And the ruffians can be envy. You know, it can be greed. It can be not subduing the passions. You know, it, it can be any number of things that ruffians that we all have. Oh, if yes. we're going to be men of, of, of integrity, you know, uh, we have to chip off those rough stones from our ashlar. Yeah. Yes. I still have uh, about 12 of the original 15 of my <laughs> ruffians. Uh, we're still hanging on. So yeah, it, it right. is a, a lifelong journey. And I just wanted to clarify that uh, before we went any further. Uh, I was making no, no assumptions that I don't have work left to do. So um, before, we move, before we move, one of the gentlemen in our live chat that we're doing while we're recording this, Grand Pooba, as well as Bluegrass and Coldcraft have questions on, if I understand it correctly, is Brother Davis, what would you recommend for a lodge that seems like it doesn't have the fire it once had, especially towards the men that are possibly supposed to be mentors for the younger guys or the old guys that just think this is a social club where they get dinner every month? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a, a terribly difficult question. Uh -oh. He left. It <laughs> was, was a very hard question. <laughs> I had one question for the guy. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, Brother Davis, if you can hear us, uh, I think you're cutting out on us. I'm sorry? Oh, you're back. Uh, you, you cut out on us for a moment. You're back. Okay. okay. Uh, you may have to start again. Okay. Well, um, American Freemasonry rather lost its way. Uh, during the depression of the 1930s and it never rediscovered itself uh, over the whole of the 20th century and it has only been the millennials that are entering the fraternity today that have bothered to look over their shoulders and see what Freemasonry 
is like in other parts of the world or has historically uh, been like in America. And one of the things that I discovered in my, uh, the research I did on um, uh, the journey to, um, uh, you know, I wrote a book on um, um, uh, American, American men and, um, um, and I observed that in every generation of men from the beginnings of our fraternity in the uh, late 1600s up until the depression of the 1930s, Freemasonry adapted itself in some way to try to keep itself in the center of the popular culture of men. So it was always a very, very dynamic institution for men in that respect. And I can give you all kinds of examples of, of that. But for some reason, um, you know, when the Depression hit, uh, we lost the three and, and four generation of males in, in, in the same house. There was a huge out migration of males uh, from their homes. They went to the cities. They never came back. Immediately after that, you know, we had this world war, and everybody went off to war, many of whom received their degrees in a period of a day or two, and all they ever saw of Freemasonry was just the degree, were just the degrees themselves. That is the generation that we inherited, and all they knew was the ritual. Uh, they didn't have uh, this understanding about how men, how, how the fraternity tried to um, center itself around the ideals of masculinity uh, for the for the 350 years prior to that time and so that's where we went awry now fortunately and the thing I'm most excited about is the millennial generation and every evidence suggests the generation under you guys are going to bring the old traditions back and so you know, no the first thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to define what those traditions are, and then we're going to have to decide, you know, how we're going to address those. And I can tell you, I'll give you a hint, it is much more difficult to change the culture of an existing lodge than it is to create a new lodge. Amen. It is. Uh, personally, so I that personally. Well so. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a large struggle. When you're wanting to improve the quality of the overall lodge experience and the old guard, they only know one dimension of that experience and they feel threatened by uh, changing something that they've become very, very comfortable with over their 50 years. And uh, I admire uh, young men who can take over the reins and, and literally uh, create a better lodge out of an old lodge. But I think the easier path is just to create a new lodge yourself, and that's that's one of the that's that's one of the things the traditional observance lodge uh, model uh, was all about is uh, is to determine what are those factors that that represent a quality Masonic experience that also upholds the fraternity as an initiatory rite and results in in being transformative by nature. And there's a lot of characteristics that make those things happen. And the more of those characteristics you can implant in your lodge, you know, the happier you're going to be as a Freemason. So Brother Embry's from the chat has a question on 
how do we find those traditions? And as a follow-up, what can we do if the lodge that we're currently in is dead or is dying or there's just the old guard that won't give up any reins? <laughs> well, you can have enough patience, you know, to wait until the old guard uh, dies off and you just was, simply get to inherit a charter. I was, I was trying to think of a way to say that without it sounding so bad. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that's the best way. There are no pre-masonry which cannot be solved by an appropriate number of Masonic funerals. <laughs> this, is, this is true. This so is if, true. If I may, if, if our lodge is, is any way uh, indicative of most lodges, which I, I tend to presume that it was, um, the way that we enacted a lot of the change that we wanted here, uh, surprisingly enough, was uh, working our way with that older generation that didn't want to let go a lot of times we found here it was it was out of fear. Uh, they they saw us as as kids who didn't know what we were doing, and it just took the time to demonstrate that what we're trying to do is different. But we're not going to kill the lodge, and and it's okay. And in a lot of respects, you might actually enjoy the outcome. But we had to start uh, by by playing the game of the old guys. So I came in and I uh, picked up a strainer and started working at the fish fry. Um, Bruce came in, got dumped into the chairs. Like, like we, we all, the, the younger guys, when they came in, the key was that a few of us stuck around. And so we broke that cycle of right. young guys come in, find the old guard holding the reins, won't let go, so they leave. Uh, we stuck it out and worked in the, the old guard system of fish fries and pancake breakfasts and read the minutes and go home. And over the course of doing that, as a young guy would come in, he would see us and then stick around. And then another one would come, and he would stick around. And we only had to do that for a few years before, slowly but surely, they started letting go of, of the reins, one finger at a time. Uh, but it, it took a trust thing. Like, no, nobody that spent 50 years in their lodge wants to see some young kids come in and then just start changing stuff, drawing graffiti on the walls and, and doing whatever it is they're afraid we might do. Um, and that seems like a perfectly natural response. And so instead of merely waiting, uh, before you run off and go through all the headache of starting a lodge, maybe give six months or a year to the, uh, maybe longer than that it was for us, uh, to the idea of, of do masonry their way for a while. Uh, yeah. And then slowly show them that you're trustworthy. That, that was very beautifully said and a very fraternal response to how, how these things can be improved. Um, you know, I can tell you that many of the men in the older generation, uh, you have to give them credit for the fact that the only reason your lodge is alive is because that handful of men spent the last 40 years keeping the doors open and, and doing the ritual work and all that. And so they are so used to having the reins that it's difficult for them to give, to give them up. And so the, the first thing they need from the younger, younger generation is sort of an affirmation that says, you know, uh, we thank you guys, you know, for holding this charter together and keeping this lodge open uh, so we can enjoy it. And the other thing that, 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 that threaten older men is they realize they don't know very much about masonry. And so when you guys come in and you want all of this education and stuff, 
it just scares them to death because they know they don't know. Uh, they cannot stand up and give you uh, the meanings of lots of things. The only thing they learned was the ritual. But what they will discover, if you have a little patience, if you agree to do the education programs for them, make that a part of what you bring to the Lodge experience, it won't take them very long to realize that they didn't have to worry about what they didn't know. You guys have that information and you're quite willing to share it. That takes a big relief off of them. And so the only other thing that you need to do uh, to meet their needs is to be able to confer the degrees. You know, don't walk into the lodge and assuming that you're going to enjoy all the benefits of it without doing your fair share, you know, of making it possible for men to, for men to, to be initiated, passed, and raised. So they want you to become ritualist, even though they can't hardly stand it when you take their place you know, on the ritual team. That's, in fact, what they, they ultimately want. So right, right. if you replace them in the ritual standing and deliver the education, those are the two big elements that can bring you together. The rest of it is just in introducing little things that improve the experience. And as far as the reins go, uh, what we found here, and if it's a lodge like uh, what was being described in the question, uh, much like our own was, where it's three or four of those gentlemen who've, who've been here for 40 years just keeping the doors open, uh, they were all too ready to give up the reins. They just they needed that affirmation, as Brother Davis said. So once we ha had demonstrated that uh, over, over a fairly short amount of time, like a few years, they were more than happy to not just let go of the reins, but, but toss them your way because they've been doing it for so long. They just didn't want to see all of their work be for naught, uh, which mm -hmm. we didn't realize that until after it was kind of all done. Uh, had we known that at the time, it might have made stomaching a lot of things easier. Uh, but there, there were fundamental misunderstandings between generations. Uh, and that's part of the learning experience, I think, that you won't get starting a new lodge is, is that, that generational difference and, and learning uh, yeah. why they do things the way they do, why those gentlemen thought the way they did. Yeah. I, that's very well, true. And another, another thing that's, that's helpful for the older men is, is for them to understand that you don't particularly care uh, how knowledgeable they are about Freemasonry. What you care about is their life experience. You care about the wisdom that they've earned from their life experience that you've not yet, uh, you know, you've not yet done. And, and older men love to tell you about their life experiences. And once the older men discover that, wow, I actually know some things these young guys don't know, or I've had some experiences they haven't had. So, you know, I've, I've made my own mistakes and judgment that I've learned greatly from. You know, maybe I can improve their own batting average. And then you start having different kinds of conversations. It's not about uh, fearing the fact that there's no scholarship in the lodge. It becomes about what men... Um, you know, know about each other that they enjoy sharing. And, um, and I have found uh, that the older men enjoy uh, sharing their, their life experience, and I have found younger men enjoy hearing their life stories. So that's a match. 
Now, if you could just get the older man to consider the tiled space as a sacred space, you know, so that it's not just like the it's not just like the space outside the, the lodge in the profane world, then you've hit a home run. Oh, so so uh, Bruce is. I heard him chuckling in the background. I, I am so glad he's saying all this stuff because so much of this is like stuff I've kind of been wanting to say, but like it's not a place for a young guy to say this stuff because I can't, you know, I can't say anything about the about the older guys. We, we have a uh, we have a, a war hero uh, who's not a member of this lodge, but often hangs out here. Uh, he's ninety three years old, uh, World War II vet, uh, just an all American hero in, in every respect of the word. So. He's one of those guys that's, that's old enough and, and, and is respected enough that nobody, nobody dares uh, attempt to correct him on, on much of anything. Uh, and he's, he's earned that. But I was recalling one night at Lodge uh, when, when his cell phone went off. <laughs> and most men, when their phone goes off in Lodge, they, they jump up in a jolt of panic and they're grabbing at their pockets and themselves trying to find the right button to push to make it stop. But uh, this, this gentleman leaned back in the chair and flipped the phone open and answered the phone <laughs> while we're closing Lodge, letting them know, no, we're closing Lodge right now. Yes, I'll pick that up on the way. And, and, and in that, that way that, uh, that men do where uh, as, as, as we age uh, and our hearing begins to deteriorate along with the rest of our bodies, we, we speak louder. <laughs> uh, it's just the nature of things. And so he was, was very audible in his phone conversation and the phone was turned up so you could hear the person on the other side, like across the room <laughs> and nobody dared say a word to him because of who he is. And, and I'll admit I was just as intimidated as everybody else. I wasn't going to go talk to him after lodge about it. Cause I mean, this guy is, is in every definition of the word hero. Like he, he's there. Oh yeah. No, we, so, like we stopped the closing yeah, ceremony yeah. for him to yeah, finish a phone call. <laughs> That's basically how I went. But but you mentioned the treating the lodge room as a sacred space amongst the older generation, and that was why Bruce and I immediately yeah. started chuckling. Yeah. Is well, the yeah. I can tell you that um, I uh, I I founded a traditional lodge in in Oklahoma and was and was a part of the national movement uh, to do that. And I did that because we, we journeyed to a lot of European lodges and South American lodges, and we paid a lot of attention to what kinds of experiences those Freemasons had. And, and we, were, we were curious as to why they were, they were seeing an annual growth rate of between 1% and 3%, that had sustained itself for 30 years at the same time when we've been declining at such a, a rapid rate. And the things that we discovered um, are the things that suggested uh, to me that can make a big difference uh, in terms of how men perceive what Freemasonry is. And one of the fundamental things is that the tiled space has to be so unique and so eccentric that you cannot experience it anywhere else in your life. In other words, it is not a part of the profane world. 
all the conversations you have out in the lobby and in the dining room and in your own life, all of those stay in the ante room so that when you come into the lodge, you know that you have entered a secret vault uh, that has been consecrated. It is a sacred space, and it's there only for the inner work. And if you can create that space where people understand that only peace and harmony can exist in that space, it is absolutely amazing how quickly things change in the Lodge experience. Hmm. I mean, I, I have a Lodge that's made up almost entirely of professional men. And these guys are young, uh, you know, attorneys, um, you know, government officials, people like that. And they just hate to miss Lodge because it's that one night they can have a month where they can just let everything stay out in the profane world and they can just kind of let their hair down and totally relax for one evening. And it's very, very important to them. It's, it's actually therapy. I was in city management when I uh, became active in the fraternity, and I was a very, very public person. And, you know, when I went to Lodge, you know, I, one thing I could depend on is that the brothers would not harass me about the city issues ever in that Lodge. And so it was the most therapeutic place in my life you know, when, I went, when I attended Lodge uh, every couple of weeks. And so... The idea that, you know, the, you guys live in very busy worlds and you don't have very much time just to sit back and, and just be yourself and kind of get in touch with your inner self. And that sacred space enables that to happen. And when you discover it, it changes everything. Trust me. Once again, it is uh, uh, doing the show the past past couple of months has been a uh, a nice exercise for me. Uh, we've been at this for years, but in the past few months, I've had I've discovered more ways to verbalize ideas I've been trying to get across for uh, for years here um, than, than I have in, in the past decade. So, uh, Bruce, since since you're a worshipful elect. Um, why don't you uh want to want to enforce more of a more of that sacred space talk uh, when you take the <laughs> rain? I mean, if you're asking me, uh, if that same situation should occur where that guy's phone goes off in lodge, no, I'm 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 gonna let him. Oh no 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 no, phone call. no 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 no! I mean, I I didn't do that, and yeah, I, no, I wouldn't expect anybody <laughs> to to question that guy. Talking about uh, explaining why we've been making so many of the subtle changes we've been making to the tiled lodge um, from more emphasis on the opening and closing the, the, uh, the burning tapers instead of the cheesy square and compass light bulbs. Uh, the, the way that we've, we've been handling the greater and lesser lights. Um, Chamber reflection. But yeah, that's, well, that's outside, but I'm thinking of just the, the, the tons of tiny changes that we've been doing and it's all for the reason that, that Brother Davis stated, that we're trying to consecrate the space that is the Tiled Lodge. Uh, we just never said it that way. So, I guess that's I, one of those things you always think, but you know, until it's put into words, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. So I was saying you should uh, explain it that way 
to guys next year when they're asking why uh, why we're doing all this. Uh, you, I, I will do that. Sorry, David, go ahead. Sorry. When you do, I think you'll be surprised by the response from people. I'm thinking in particular, I had this experience of uh, when I was high priest of the Royal Arch chapter. It's a very prominent capitular mason who has been everything that you can be um, in uh, in the chapter um, and you know a very solid was there every time the doors open kind of guy and uh, another companion and I it was right before we were about to confer the Royal Arch degree which is if you've taken the degree you know it's a construction project as well as a degree and we were standing, looking at the room, trying to make sure we had all the pieces together. And we were talking about some of the symbolism of the Royal Arch degree. And this guy who has been a member of chapter for 40 years at least um, said to us, and I swear to you it was with the voice of a child, he said to us, why didn't they ever tell us any of this? <laughs> and we weren't talking about something that was difficult or, or, or particularly pure. We're just talking about the symbolism of the degree and our understanding of it. But no one had ever encouraged him to think about the degree beyond the most superficial level. But as soon as we started talking about it, he was intrigued, he was interested. It was clear and meant something to him. He knew it was important. He had an understanding that it was sacred. But no one had ever bothered to put it to him in those terms. And it was one of those moments when I realized that, you know, these guys aren't this way because this is where they're stuck. It's because no one is showing them a better way. Give them a chance to come along with you. That is exactly right. I appreciate that. Uh, I've had the wonderful privilege of giving a lot of Masonic education programs in lodges, and it's amazing to me how many times I hear the comment from men who've been in the lodge, as, as David said, the last 30 or 40 years, and say, you know, I learned more tonight than I've learned in the last 30 years. And so the stuff that you find on the Internet and in your global conversations as young men are things these guys have never thought about. And when you start bringing that kind of knowledge into the lodge, you just blow their socks off. And they're delighted to hear it because it changes them and it changes their experience. Yeah, great points, David. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. You guys can't go that deep all the time. Like we, we can't. We, we have right. to like sit. And, our brains are still processing what you said. And we're like, it's hard, it's hard to carry on a radio show when you have to actually stop and think about what's being said. Yeah, my my teleprompter kind of went out used to. about thirty minutes ago. So I've. Just been yeah. I, I will confess um, to you that I had a conversation with Brother Davis the first time I met him standing outside the Guthrie Temple, and I can recite to you, I'm not going to, but I could recite to you every word Brother Davis said. I have no memory of anything I said, and I still think about that conversation at, 
fairly frequently and realize I learn more and more from it every time I think about it. So he does have that effect on people. It's Wait, <laughs> maybe a terminal condition. So you're not going to, that, that's what you're going to leave us with. You're not going to tell us anything that you guys spoke about. Like, he's still processing it. Give him another. <laughs> I can tell you what we do in my lodge. As soon as the lodge is over, we go out and party. <laughs> we go out and have that fun. We just wait until we get outside the lodge building to do it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that I love that you brought that up. Uh, as I was talking about in the, the pre-show, uh, the reason we entitled this podcast After Lodge uh, when it started what we were promoting back then was a trademark that we no longer use, uh, that we were calling the after lodge method of lodge success. We were trying to evangelize uh, that fraternalism uh, that we've been speaking about kind of subtly the whole show, that if your lodge shows up and you eat some donuts and then you read the minutes, you make a motion to pay the bills, and within five minutes of the gavel dropping, the place is locked up in a ghost town, uh, you're never going to get anywhere. So we were promoting uh, what had worked for us, which is when the lodge closes, a lot of times that's more of the, the beginning of the evening than the end. Yes, very much um, so. And so going out uh, with, with your brothers, if you're part of a traditional observance lodge, uh, out to the festive board, some lodges, the guys go meet at the local bar. Uh, here at ours, we tend to just sit around the dining room and, and uh, peel the wallpaper with cigar smoke. But... Um, Whatever it is you do, the idea is that don't don't end your evening with with the business meeting and closing lodge. Uh, that is right. the worst thing that can happen to a lodge is, is it gets that way. Then you may as well just. That's go right. Yeah, you know the, the the four ingredients of a successful lodge, and you can take these to the bank because they occur everywhere in the world, except maybe in North American Freemasonry. But we're getting there. You know. You've got to have a, an impeccable ritual experience. You've got to have solid education. You've got to have a rich fraternal experience. And you must have a, a solid social experience. And you must do those four things every time you're together. And when you do them and you pay attention to their weight equally, then you have an evening that you cannot duplicate anywhere else. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Amen, my brother. <laughs> amen. <laughs> yes. And you, you end up forging, forging that, that indissoluble chain uh, that That's we it. often speak of in the ritual with your brothers so that um, you start to develop that reputation, which uh, we – we have a, a an associate in our uh, of mine who he's not a member of this lodge. I don't know that Bruce knows him that well, but he often speaks of when he visits Germany for work, uh, and people there find out he's a Freemason. Uh, he talked about one lady's reaction in particular when she stands back aghast and and says, "Oh, blood brothers! You guys would do anything for each other." And, and he didn't know if she was alleging some kind of conspiracy or if it was admiration or what. But he, he was explaining, and, and I've encountered this in my limited exposure to international masonry, that that's the reputation the craft has in a lot of places. They're not just a club of men. They are 
I don't want to say it's, it's feared, but revered for the idea that they're an inseparable band of men that would do anything for one another. Um, and, and I think what, what Brother Davis was describing, if your lodge does that, and you have that kind of connection with the brothers of your lodge, that's the type of bond that you're forming. Uh, and it's something that I don't think can be found anywhere else outside of like your squad mates in the foxholes on the war front. I don't know anywhere else you can forge a bond that tight. I can't argue with you. So, uh, again, going by the IRC nickname, Graham Puba, he wants to know, what would you say are the most important things to learn or focus on as a newly made or younger Master Mason? Well... I think I would, I would focus on why the ritual is important and why the ritual space is something that's, that's different. And we cannot have an initiatory experience without ritual. And in fact, almost anything that represents stability in our life is ritually based. And uh, so it is the ritual experience that bonds us together as men. It's not the social experience. It's not the charitable experience. It's not the fun we have doing community projects. It is our experience together at being initiated men. And that only comes from the experience of the ritual. That is what distinguishes us from the outward community. And so that's, that's the important thing, is to try to, uh, try to appreciate the value of the ritual. Because the ritual is, is nothing less than a, a, a mystery school that has been delivered to us by untold generations of past masters whose spirit still resides with us because of the language of our fraternity. And you, you, can just, you just can never discount that. Now, you know, young men will say, hey, I know, but the guys in my lodge, that's all they know is ritual, and I, and I want more than that. Uh, so, uh, you know, the more than that is, I believe, is making that early decision that this is going to be a part of your life journey. And you're going to try to take the guideposts that this fraternity has delivered to you, and you're going to try to turn them into the actions of your life. Because if we don't take what we learn into the outside world, you know, then we cannot change things for anybody else. And so the, I think the second thing as, a, as a, an apprentice or, or just a, a young mason is to understand that this is both an internal order and an external order. And the internal aspect of the order delivers all of the wisdom that we will ever need to know to be successful in our lives. But unless we take those lessons out and so that the outside world can see 
by what we do and our behaviors distinguishes us from the rest of the community, then we're just like any other organization. So the fact is that we have to distinguish ourselves from the rest of the community, and that's both internal work and external work. That's the focus. In my judgment, that's the focus. All the rest of it's fun. I love the fraternalism. I love the social outings. I love the conversations. I love getting to meet men that I could not possibly have ever met. I mean, David Riley, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, was, or Cambridge, was talking about a man who had been in his Royal Arts chapter for 40 years, and I live in Oklahoma, which is at least a couple thousand miles away, and I know who he was talking about. Huh. Isn't that remarkable? <laughs> That's, you cannot find that kind of relationship anywhere else in the world. So that's the other thing to bring to the young man is, my God, guy, you are going to meet a global network of the, of the best-minded men you will ever know. And where can you yes. find that except in Freemasonry? Uh, nowhere. I've, I live uh, by nature of, of my profession. Uh, I, I naturally end up in a lot of social uh, occasions with different groups of people for different reasons. And the lodge is the only place where you walk into the into the doors at dinner time and find sitting across from the table from each other the the attorney in town next to the the landscaper from the nursing home who's hanging out with an, a retired teacher who's who's over there with with the janitor next to the couple police officers and the just men from literally every walk of life who are sitting at the same table breaking bread together for no other reason than, than these are my brothers and we've come here to, to share the, the initiatic experience of masonry together. I, I don't see that anywhere else. If I go to a business outing, it's, it's all men of, of like businessmen, uh, bar functions, it's, it's all attorneys. If I go to uh, something with a client, it's going to be people who, who work for that union or do whatever it is that, that binds them together. Uh, but they're always, it's almost always homogenous gatherings of people with, with, with rare exception. This is the only place where it's consistently a diverse body of men uh, who have no regard for the different social statuses that, that they may hold. Exactly. Exactly. And if you want to start Masonic education in such a group of men, you just have to ask the question, why are we here together? And let them provide the answers. And that starts you on the path of, of everybody understanding just how unique this association is and this relationship is. Fantastic. Um, before we, uh, I guess before we start winding down, uh, I, I don't want to go down that path if uh, anybody else has anything to bring up. Uh, we're, we can run as long as we need to. Um, Nope. <laughs> okay. So uh, uh, I think we're just still all processing. And then in our minds, we're trying to figure out how we're going to bring what they said and then like stand in front of our lodge brother. Yes. Be like, and a, a, attempt to, to, to relay it, and it's, it's not going to work at all. No. You'll find your way. I would like, like to take, if I could um, just call Brother Davis right now in open lodge, if everyone's okay with that. 
I promise you he can make it make more sense than I can. So we just set up Google Hangouts real quick. Okay. Yeah, we we yeah. installed a projector system for just that purpose. Uh, so we yeah. can we can bring somebody in remotely. But a quick story that that you guys kind of touched on earlier. When I first wanted to join Masonry in Boston and I wasn't I was still new to Boston, so I didn't have any friends. After I found the lodge, one of the guys in the lodge said, well, we can't, nobody could vouch for you unless we know who you are. And I said, well, I don't know anybody. I don't. And over the course of maybe a month, two months, three months, or whatever it was, he became such a good and close and caring friend where we went to birthday parties and engagement parties together and funerals together and we went kayaking and we went canoeing and we went rock climbing. I mean, we just did everything together. So when I needed someone to sign my petition, he could do it because he's like, I know you. And I, at this point, we had been through death and life and everything in between with each other. So by the time, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Shout out if you're listening, you know who you are. Um, that it really created such a bonding experience. And I know I was in a class of four or five guys, and we were all about the same age and kind of in the same stages of life. And all the guys from my mother lodge in Boston were at different stages of their life but in kind of in the next generation or the next two generations. And we felt very comfortable going with that, to them with any of our problems or how do I make a resume? How do I go on an interview? How do I ask this girl out? How to this, how to that? And it goes with what Brother Davis was saying was that they were just such good mentors and a lot of a father figure to us who maybe didn't have that growing up. Not saying I didn't have that, but a lot of us who didn't have that growing up. And I think that's super important because I still talk to those men and I still love them so dearly because I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for their help and their direction. The reason I'm a Mason today is because of the men who were uh, in large measure because of the men who were advisors to my DMLA chapter when I was growing up. Um, Gary Wallace, Reese L. Harrison Jr. Um, I laugh when I say that for reasons that any Texas Mason would appreciate. Um, uh, Gerald Nowotny. I mean, I can't name my teachers from high school, but I can remember every single one of those guys and the influence they had on me. And I grew up wanting to be like them, wanting to be a gentleman like I saw them being gentlemen. Mm. Yeah. And isn't that interesting? That's the same experience I had, you know, 47 years ago when the men in my community that I most respected showed up at Lodge for my entered apprentice degree. You know, it's, it's, it's a concept that can never die. And I still remember those men. I'll know them all of my life. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I would, uh, I'd like to give uh, Brother Davis a, uh, a brief opportunity 
to plug or, or speak about uh, his work, uh, The Mason's Words, The History and Evolution of the American Masonic Ritual. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon in paperback or the Kindle edition for a little cheaper. Uh, we'll try to have a link in the show notes when this comes out. Uh, Brother Davis, would you well, speak sure. about that work yeah. at all? <laughs> David Riley knows me well enough to know that I'm actually a fairly humble man. I'm not too much into promoting myself. But but again, the the Mason's Word uh, looks at the at the development and evolution of the Masonic ritual that came to be practiced in American Masonic lodges. And so I, I traced it from the, um, you know, the early Masonic exposures of the, uh, uh, the Scottish rituals, uh, the English uh, rituals from 1696 up to 1769, there were something like uh, 36 ritual exposures uh, by that time. So we, we have a, a, a pretty good uh, trace of where our ritual words uh, came from. And then I looked at the, um, at the men who turned the ritual from an, an initiatic ceremony uh, to a philosophical um, path, and I, I looked at the major um, English ritualist of the uh, latter half of the 18th century uh, that uh, made the largest contributions in that area. I looked at how that ritual came um, uh, to America in the colonies, and I spent some time with Thomas Smith Webb, and uh, and uh, determining who his students were. I looked at the uh, national attempts to standardize the ritual, and uh, I ended the journey when uh, we reached a level at the mid-19th century when Grand Lodges decided uh, just to uh, appoint their own board of Grand Lectures or uh, board of superintendents or whatever they would call them, and call the ritual that they've adopted as theirs. And then I, um, just for the fun of it, I pointed out some of the ritual variations that exist uh, among jurisdictions. And, uh, and I made it real clear at, in the very beginning, I did not uh, see this as the definitive work on the history of the uh, ritual, but I do think that it covers the story for the average, uh, for the man of average curiosity and, uh, and I've received a lot of compliments on it, so I, I think it's a good read. And for the younger men that pay attention to uh, your podcast, I have a book called uh, Understanding Manhood in America. And uh, the subtitle of that book is uh, uh, Freemasonry's Enduring uh, Quest for the Mature Masculine Soul. And... Um, and what I did in that book is I investigated how American males over the last 350 years have uh, looked at the ideals of manhood and masculinity and how those ideals have changed over time and how the fraternal uh, movement has moved in and out of the center of defining those ideals. And then I looked at the things that um, cloud men's understanding of manhood and, and masculinity, uh, you know, feminism, political uh, correctness, 
uh, media bashing, consumerism, and, and all those kinds of things. And and uh, actually, um, that book has resonated very well, particularly with with younger men just starting uh, their adult journey. I I can imagine. That's, uh, we we will definitely be looking into that as well. Um, that's a, a grievance that we often share around the tables here at, at our lodge is the uh, what's often called the media assault on masculinity, um, whether it's intentional or not. When you watch television or movies, you see a lot less John Wayne type figures and a lot more King of Queens type figures, uh-huh. right. like the imbecile husband who's like the butt of every joke and... Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a recurring theme in advertisements and in, in television sitcoms in movies. You either have the big dumb brute that blows everything up and you know kills a bunch of people, or you've got just the village idiot uh, with not much in the middle. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if your your book echoes those sentiments, I am sure it'll be well received by our audience. It's funny, a Mason's word. I've actually never actually went through an entire highlighter before <laughs> no i'm serious i, I was know, like if you, oh, if you just highlight the whole book highlighters stop working <laughs> and then my fiance is like why don't you why don't you just highlight the whole book i'm like i'm trying but it's not <laughs> i need another highlighter but harlan we forgot to see one of us forgot to say the special <clears throat> something oh, yeah. that we're having tonight so graciously provided by brother davis yes so uh over the course of i, I guess uh what do you think maybe a week um after this podcast goes live uh we will how are we going to do this bruce should we put this out on facebook what do you mean probably should have thought about this before the show started <laughs> now we're going to to give away an autographed copy of uh brother davis's book uh Mason's oh. words uh, and, and we want to do this in some sort of raffle style uh so we were talking before the show about uh having a facebook post about this episode and then based on whoever shares it uh that'll be the pool for this raffle yeah so we'll use a random number generator We'll share it. And we're so gracious and thankful for Brother Brother David for doing this. It was really above and beyond. Yes. It was my pleasure, man. Yes. My and, pleasure. Uh, thank you for, for autographing the book, and, and uh, that will be a nice bit of exposure for us, uh, considering we're, we're all volunteers, so we don't spend a lot of money on advertising. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. No, I was, I was, wait, I was promised money. <laughs> oh, well, you, have to, uh, you have to pick that up with, with Brother Riley. <laughs> I, thought it, I thought it was being painted Canada Dry. Yes, exactly. Now that we have, uh, it's Canada Dry. We have that. Uh, we will also, of course, be delivering you your, uh, your wages, your speculative wages. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, does anybody have anything cool coming up in the uh, in the Masonic world? They want to announce any big regional conferences or fancy degrees or something? Brother Davis, are you speaking anywhere? Are you – what's going on? Are you traveling anywhere soon? I'm actually uh, – I still travel quite a bit. I, I don't have any uh, engagements left for – 
2016. Uh, I am going to Florida uh, soon, I think. And uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, we're sort of working on that. Yeah. Oh, oh, secrets. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I've been planning this for a week, but okay, secrets. <laughs> Thanks. So yes, I'm. Uh, I, uh, I I go out quite a bit uh, through the year. I talk to uh, I talk to lodges. Um, I talk to um, uh, Scottish Rite Valleys. I really prefer to talk um, um, with men. Uh, I'm not sure after dinner your banquet speaker you know mixed crowds i don't like to go out just to entertain our, our wives that's not my thing you know my thing is is education so yeah that's that's what i do that's what i do okay i i did just receive word that the uh, grand lodge of indiana is hope staying an open house on next thursday so that would be the what would that be? That would be the 15th. So if you're in or around the Indiana area and want to check that out, uh, that'll be going on. Cool. Uh, Bruce? Yes, sir. How many packages are coming tomorrow? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so if you hadn't figured out uh, already, um, Brother Bruce is a... Uh, is one of America's finest, the rain, hail, sleet, or snow. Uh, your Amazon boxes will get to you by Christmas. <laughs> one way or another, we'll make it happen. I'm waiting to place all my Amazon orders until three days before Christmas. Okay, now that's probably a bad idea. Just, uh, <laughs> <gotta tell> <laughs> Even miracle workers can't bend reality. <laughs> <laughs> Um, All right. Well, uh, Brother Davis, thanks. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thanks uh, for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I enjoyed uh, it very much. It's been a great experience uh, for us as well. Um, if you if you wouldn't mind, if you if you have some type of public contact info mm -hmm. uh, you'd like to share with us after the show, uh, or email it to me, and we'll get that uh, published with this episode. So if you have any listeners that might want to. Sure. shoot you an email or something i you recommend my, not your you have my email address don't you yes yeah. you have another one i don't know if you want to use that one that's fine that was fine because this is posted to the public web so you'll start getting ads for indian uh, okay yeah i'll, okay. I'll give you another whatever else <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you for that warning yeah uh, yeah well i i learned that through experience um, <laughs> yeah that's why i'm on my third email address for this show yeah okay uh so, yeah, I'll, I'll include that, and, and I'm trying to think of everything else. I've been a little scatterbrained this evening. Um, do you want apologize to apologize for that, brothers. Do you want to do a shout-out to IRC and the sub, usual people? What? Oh, you yes, yes. Um, for those of you who haven't been conditioned in the past few weeks to learn that by now you should be hanging out on IRC, uh, you missed out again on the live stream of this episode, which was available to the brothers in the IRC channel. Uh, it will no longer be publicly available uh, after after we're done recording. Um, you'll have to get it in the MP3 form like everyone else. So if you want this special treat and the live stream and asking questions and uh, getting feedback and your announcements made, uh, come hang out on IRC. 
Uh, you probably want to speak with Brother Nick. He goes by uh, SBRR for Swim, Bike, Run, Run. Uh, he tends to be a lot more active during the day than I do. Um, I've been trying to find ways to get on IRC from the office, uh, but I work I a lot with the working during the day. Jeez, we all are. I work a lot with the with the security department uh, by nature of of what I do. So uh, they are very good at what they do, and every mechanism I've thought of to sneak around to get to IRC, uh, they've already thought of and blocked off. So. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I need to find an Android client and do it on my phone. I've just been too lazy to look that up. Yeah, but the uh, easiest way to find the details is just reddit.com, r-e-d-d-i-t.com, slash r, slash Freemasonry, and all the details are there. Yes, um, and they're in the show notes for the show. They're not hard to find, uh, but come hang out with us on IRC. It is the uh, next best thing to go into Lodge. Uh, you get to meet a lot of brothers from all around the world and uh, chat in real time, which for some reason seems more intimate than Reddit. Uh, I can't describe how because it's still just text messages, but there's something about IRC. Um, maybe because it's old and Masons like tradition. Because I think IRC has been around longer than probably any of us, maybe even Brother Brother Davis have been alive. <laughs> When did the RSC spec get published? Does anybody know that? I think it was 1971 or something. Old. It's very old. So get on IRC. <laughs> uh, in computer terms, sorry, Brother Davis, I'm talking about in technological terms. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the protocol started in the yeah. 70s, still being actively used today is pretty darn impressive. <laughs> um, yeah, didn't mean that to be disparaging. So, uh, <laughs> while I'm pulling my foot out of my mouth, we're going to uh, to draw a close to episode 149 of the After Lodge podcast. You can find the show notes for this or any previously published episode at www.afterlodge.com. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at After Lodge. Shoot us an email at afterlodge at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail if you're prone to do that. Uh, no one really does that anymore. But, but there is a phone number we leave with the show notes. I don't even remember what it is for phone calls. Voicemail, and you can opine uh, if it's funny enough or angry enough or whatever. We may play it on the air for everyone's amusement. Hang out with us on IRC at irc.snoonet.org, pound sign Freemasonry. And, of course, the easiest, best place to find us, as always, is on the Freemasonry and After Lodge subreddits. So get on Reddit, an international online symposium of masonry and things that pretend to be masonry. So until next week, brothers, stay safe. And I, I, I don't have a clever greeting. That's how scatterbrained I am. Oh. <laughs> Bye, brother. <laughs> Good night.
See 